making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. Last week we left off at the end of chapter 6. I did not cover verses 19 through 21 of chapter 6 where we read about the animals. It also mentions the provisions to bring into the ark, but I skipped over that because chapter 7 talks about that as well. And so we're beginning a new chapter. Let's go ahead and read this whole chapter. You can check it off your Bible reading list. (laughs) Genesis 7, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. And of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah and to the ark the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, I'm assuming her name was Joan. Joan of Ark. Okay. Um, you know what? Forget it. I'm not wasting my jokes anymore on y'all. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, so good to be, be back around Brother Foley. Amen. Noah's wife and the three wives of his son with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, as the Lord, or excuse me, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, of the creeping things and of the fowl of the heaven. 
and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. Now when you read that chapter, doesn't it make you want to throw away all the cute little pictures about the ark? I'm serious. I'm not saying you're the devil if you have. I'm just saying this is a tragic. I don't even know if that's the right word. This is, this is such a serious event. When you read about all this death that is taking place. I want to give you a quick disclaimer as we begin this chapter. As we read through this, you noticed several things are repeated over and over And so we'll kind of jump around a little bit as I try to go through this chapter. I won't be able to take it all in order, but I'll do my best to present it to you in a logical fashion. We concluded last week considering how Noah did not try to cut corners. He was obedient to follow God's directions, his plan for deliverance, and Noah followed God's word completely. He did not deviate. The Bible says at the end of chapter 6, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And then we talked about how this relates to our salvation and then um, also our walk with God. And, and now as chapter 7 begins, we see the time has finally arrived for Noah and his family and all the land animals to enter the ark because God is about to unleash His fury upon a wicked world. And as I begin today, I want to get this animal situation out of the way. I bypassed it in chapter 6 and now I'm going to have to deal with it. And verses 19 through 21 of chapter 6, it says, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. So we see in verse 19 of chapter 6 that God uh, told Noah concerning the animals, of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark. And then here in chapter 7 in verse 2, God tells Noah, thou shalt take to thee of the animals. And then in verse 9, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And then in verses 15 and 16, we read, and they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life, and they went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So the question arises, how did Noah gather all the animals into the ark? Right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with these questions. Um, It's okay to ask questions, all right? And some of you know, well, that's that's an easy answer. Well, maybe it was easier, you know, not so easy once in your life. So how did Noah get all these animals into the ark? I, I believe once we piece all those verses together I just read to you, that we can conclude that it was God who placed it into the animals to arrive to the ark. You don't have to picture Noah with a checklist, you know, playing bird bingo, traveling throughout the world, and gathering these animals in. No, God, in in how God works, just have the animals make their way to the ark of their own accord. And and, and I think there's room to show in the verses I I just cited 
that not only did God have them arrive in, but God had them walk in. And so that may sound far-fetched to you that these animals would just intuitively make their way to the ark, but even today we can see how animals can predict the weather. I know in Georgia, every time you saw a herd of cattle get underneath a tree, it was going to rain. Now, why they chose a tree, I don't know. That sounds pretty dumb in a lightning storm, but we're not talking about brilliance. We're talking about just meteorological skills, all right? They had a barometer built in. I remember Adrian and I, in our BC years before children, we used to like to go backpacking, and we made our way to Alabama one trip. You remember this, Shug? You know where I'm going with this? And, and we started backpacking through the Talladega National Forest. And one of the nights we stopped to camp and we set up camp. And it was like a plague of frogs moved through our campsite. And I'm serious. We're talking frogs by the hundreds, if not thousands. I mean, it was incredible. And that night, it came a gully washer. You know what I'm talking about? Those frogs just knew. Anyway, this has nothing to do with your Bible, but... Um, <laughs> Certainly, God can put it into the animals to respond as He sees fit. He wanted them on the ark, and so He had them make their way to Noah. Noah didn't have to track them down. And, you know, just a thought, we don't know, but it could be God temporarily lifted the curse against the animal kingdom and that they all got along as they made their way. I don't know, just something to think about. Um, they, they must have been peaceful uh, arriving and so anyway, and not to mention peace between animals and man. Amen. I mean, if we were building the ark, Adrian would not allow the bears on. But <laughs> just a side note, but I find it interesting in verse 2 that God mentions the clean and the unclean animals well before the Levitical law is ever given. And this has led to a lot of opinions on what this means. Some believe God had given instructions at some point on what was clean and what was unclean, even though it's not recorded um, maybe for their consumption, maybe for sacrifice. Um, God says, take of the clean animals by seven. Maybe it was because he wanted those herds to be established more easily. Um, some believe that the, um, the clean animals were those most useful to man. There's a lot of speculation as to what is meant there by that statement. I don't have a satisfactory answer, and if you do, that's great. But um, let's just move on. Now, People who scoff at the Bible, at the notion that all the animals that we see in the world today were once on the ark, don't understand what the Bible says and what it means when it uses certain terms. In Genesis 6.20, God said, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing on the earth after his kind. And we see that again in Genesis 7, 14. Every beast after his kind, every cattle after his kind, uh, creeping things after their kind, fowl after their kind. And so what this means is Noah, and I'm just going to make this short and sweet, Noah didn't have to have every breed of dog on the ark. He just needed a canine pair. And God would have the genetic makeup within that canine pair to give us the cool dogs and the chihuahuas. Anybody here got a chihuahua? Oh, I love this church. Amen. Okay. It is a mutated species. It's, it's messed up. Sorry, Mom. She's probably holding Sadie right now. And so when we understand that, it, it's easy when you think about the immense size of the ark, um, how easy it would be to pull this off. 
And so the accusation that there's no way Noah could have housed all, all the air-breathing air animals in, in the animal kingdom uh, on the ark is easily refuted, really. Uh, you just got to do a little bit of study. But um, anyway, there's all kind of calculations you can, you can look at, you can research to try to figure out how many animals could have fit on the ark. But I decided not to bore you with that because it really is a bore. I'll just tell you this. It was no problem. Now, here's a thought I've mentioned while in chapter 5, but we see the phrase male and female. It's stated several times about the animals. Genesis 6.19, Genesis 7.2, 7.3, Now, it's probably obvious to you the need for male and female animals. If it's not clear to you, talk to your parents or come. If you're an adult, come and see me. Um, six times. That seems pretty repetitive, doesn't it, for something so obvious? It's an obvious truth of biology. If you want to reproduce, you've got to have male and female. And we find this phrase twice before this in relation to man. So eight times, eight times in the first seven chapters of the book of Genesis, we get this phrase male and female. It used to be an easily understood fact. Listen, I'm not being ugly, I'm just saying but how times have changed now in the 21st century. Now there's your biological sex, your gender identity, your gender expression. That's just to name a few. And the Bible clears up all the gender dysphoria issues if we would just read it. And again, I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the fact that this shows up eight times in the first seven chapters is proof people aren't even reading their Bibles. If you're going to sit down and start to read the Bible, you're probably going to start in Genesis. And if you could just make it through seven chapters, you'd read eight times. There's male and there's female. So we're obviously not reading the Word of God, and we're certainly not believing it if we are. We as society. And as I've stated several times throughout this series, Genesis is the most attacked book out of all the books of the Bible. And it's, it's being proven by what we see in our society. Evolution. The, the gender confusion. The, listen, it's all right here. It's all in the beginning. It, 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 you know, this, wor- this, this nation would be turned upside down if we would just get the first 11 chapters of Genesis correct. Amen. One last thing while I'm here. I think it's noteworthy that when it comes to the preservation of mankind, God told Noah and his wife. God told Noah's sons and their wives. God did not want to preserve mankind through a shacked up couple. God didn't want to preserve mankind by telling Noah, tell your sons to go get all their girlfriends and let's get on the ark. Amen, this is good stuff. God was not pro-polygamy. God wanted husband and wife. Now, with the preservation of the human race and the land, air-breathing, animal kingdom taken care of, let's just zero in for the rest of our time on verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And so God here says, Come into, come thou and all thy house into the ark. Some see this as an invitation. Some see this as a command. 
I don't really care which it is. I just see it as God telling his obedient child what he needs to do. Why had the time come? God says, now's the time. Come thou and thy family into the ark. Why is it now? Well, we, we know when we were in Genesis 6 and verse 3, God said, my spirit shall not always strive with mankind. There was coming a point when God said, I'm not messing with it anymore, and I'm going to have to take action. And so we know at least that's what's taking place. That window of opportunity to receive Christ has now closed. But I also want to remind you of a man named Methuselah. You may recall when we were in chapter 5 that I'm in the camp who believes that Methuselah's name is prophetic. The, the meaning of his name is prophetic of the coming flood. And most would agree it means something like this. His death shall send forth. Or something similar to that. Enoch was the father of Methuselah. And evidently he was made aware of God's great flood to come. And it seems Enoch was made aware of, that, of God's flood and, and that it would occur in the year that Methuselah would die. Isn't that interesting? Methuselah lived 969 years. <laughs> Sorry, I was wondering if he wore compression socks or anything. but um, my, my whole life's changing. I'm, I'm turning into an old man. Amen. Um, i got to tell you, I love these compression socks. They're, they're awesome. Um, all right. Strike that from the record. Methuselah lived 969 years. Methuselah was 187 when his son Lamech was born. And Lamech was 182 when his son Noah was born. And that equals 396. And Noah was in his 600th year when the flood came. So Methuselah died in the year that the flood came. Exactly what his name means. That's just amazing. It, 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 it cannot be a coincidence that Methuselah is the longest living man ever recorded. You say, why is that? Because God had said, when he dies, it's over. How merciful is our God? Hey, Lamech only lived 777, but Methuselah lived 969 years. God is so merciful to give us time to get right with Him. 1 Peter 3.20 When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. And I believe part of that long-suffering of God was Methuselah's long life. So the ark is prepared. Methuselah has died. And notice that the call is to Noah and his whole house or his whole family. And now we're going to start shifting into preaching up in your living room, okay? So if you tune me out, let's get back to business. Noah, because he was under the blessings of God, his children enjoyed the blessings of God. You catching this? His blessings, the blessings upon Noah's life, carried over to his family. I've let my children know before and know in certain terms that they experience God's blessing because God blesses me and Adrian. They didn't pay to put a roof over their head. Now, now that some of them are working, you know, they're buying their own Pringles or whatever, but, uh, you know, whatever Luke's drinking, I don't know, all kind of junk. Um, but, but listen, we, we, we're the ones that fed them growing up. Amen. 
We put their clothes on their back until they started buying hats and wearing them goofy. That's an inside joke between me and my son. But I told him when I was a kid, that would get, anyway, I better stop there. Um, listen, I'm just saying, they were blessed because Adrian and I were blessed. And, and why, why tell your kids that? Because I hope you want them to understand that in order for them to be blessed, they're going to have to walk with God. Do you see all the blessings you enjoyed while you were growing up? If you want those blessings on your family, you got to live for God. You got to walk with God. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't, can't, or won't bless children. He most certainly does. But what I am saying is that it is because of the blessings upon godly people that they were able to enjoy the blessings of God. And more importantly than the physical blessings are the blessings of peace and joy, happiness within the home. Amen. A home where parents walk with God. And they in turn take what they learn from their walk with God and raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I think part of the reason, and I say part, I know we could get into a lot of things, but part of the reason we see some young people go astray after leaving a good Christian home is because they've never understood or they've never been taught that the blessings they enjoy is because they had a mama and daddy who were walking with God. And they say, I just want to be out from underneath all these rules. And so you get out there and you do your thing. And it won't be long until you realize, I am not experiencing the blessings of God. The day will come when you wish you were back in the home. Don't believe me? Read Luke 16. What did the prodigal say? Man, I'd rather be a hired servant in my father's house than live out here with all my freedom. Why? Because God blessed that man. And He enjoyed those blessings. And the problem is children walk out and they never buy the truth. So parents, your walk with God, or your lack thereof, your walk with God will affect more than just you. Come on now, it's going to affect your whole family. I personally think it would be good if every teen in our church would work on the bus route. And you go out there and see what some of these kids have to deal with. Not all of them. Some of them have very good homes, but many of them don't. And I think you ought to get on that bus and get out there and see. See what it's like when the little girl shows up with cigarette burns all over her arms. Or daddy took away her purity. Come on now. I've seen it. We'll leave it there. The second half of verse 1, God says to Noah, For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I want you to note here that God takes notice of righteousness. I've also covered this thought in chapter 6. I won't dwell here, but Noah was a saved man. Any righteousness God sees in us is a result of His righteousness being imputed to us. That's where it has to begin. Because the Bible is clear, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. We've all gone astray. We've all done our own thing. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We needed Christ's righteousness imputed to us, which is made available through faith in His sacrificial death and His shed blood. Noah's called a righteous man because he came to a saving faith in the promised seed to come. 
And because of God's saving grace, Noah lived the life of a man who had been made righteous. Let me, let me say that again a little bit slower. Because Noah was made righteous, he lived the life of a righteous man. I just can't seem to get my act together. I just can't seem to, I'm just not convicted. I, are you saved? Genesis 6, 9, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And so this also goes beyond just a saving faith. Amen. By the way, your Christianity goes beyond just being saved. I hope it does. Right? It's not enough just to get saved. I mean, it is. That'll get you to heaven if you put your faith and trust in Christ. But listen, that ought to, that ought to motivate you to live for God. Because you realize what He has done for you and how much He has done to save you. And so this is talking about a man who's not only saved, but he's living his life for God. This is one who is choosing to live right after salvation. All right, well, don't get too excited on that one. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And that's Noah. Noah was that man. And God's going to show Himself strong. Now, verse 1 is a, is a great verse because it shows Noah's faithfulness. But as we consider what verse 1 doesn't say, this becomes a very somber verse. When we read verse 1, in light of what's not stated, we are struck with the reality that out of all the world's population, which would have been very considerable, easily into the millions if not billions, only eight souls are going to get onto the ark and escape God's wrath. Just imagine. You think you have it bad. When we, when we consider this, we understand that God's wrath is about to be poured out and only eight souls, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wife. The rest of humanity rejected God's message. His message of righteousness. They rejected God's warnings. Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, was a preacher and a prophet. Jude, verse 14, calls him a prophet. 2 Peter 2.5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And we know God has always had a remnant. Amen. He's always had those around who would give His message. The message was going forth, but sadly, all others had rejected it. Everyone else refused to heed the warning. And I wonder, is there anyone like that today? You know the message. You know the warnings, but you're not answering the call. You keep pushing God away. You know of the judgment to come, but you will not yield yourself to God. Maybe it's your pride. You're too concerned what others might think. Well, I just, I don't think I'm saved, but everybody else does. And if I come down and try to give my heart to God, people are going to think I'm a hypocrite. That's Satan talking to you. Because anybody who's born again will rejoice with you. 
Maybe it's because you love your sin. And you don't want to give it up. I'll never forget the lady I worked with in Korea. I witnessed to her every opportunity. She finally told me, I don't want to be saved because I don't want to give up my sin. And I know if I get saved, I'm not supposed to do these things. Maybe you're just apathetic. You've heard it so much now, I just you're growing calloused. James 1, 23 and 24, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. What does this mean? This means you can come into church and you can look into the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God, and you can hear the message and you can say, that's me, and then you walk out the door and you go, what time's the Super Bowl coming on? You just go right back to living as you see fit. And how tragic to think that there are those who have attended Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And I know you hear the Word of God here. And you hear it clearly. But you still have refused God's love, His mercy, and His grace. Paul preached the gospel to King Agrippa in Acts 26. And Paul asked him, Believest thou the prophets? Remember that account? In other words, Paul is asking him, Don't you believe the Word of God? And Paul even said, I know that thou believest. And Paul was saying to Agrippa, I know you believe the Word of God is true. That's not enough. If I were to ask you if you believe the report of the gospel, most of you would say yes. And I would even say about most of you, I know you believe it's true. But there are still some, like Agrippa, that while you know it to be true... You just won't let go of your flesh and give your heart to Christ. What did Agrippa famously say? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. To almost be persuaded is to be totally lost. You may know the truth of the message, but if you don't get it from your head to your heart, you're still dead in your sins. And you stand condemned before a holy God. Is there anyone who would be honest enough to confess that the closest you've ever been to salvation is almost? You've heard the message, you know the truth, you know the way, you know God's requirements, but you still are pushing God aside because you love your sin more than God. Or maybe you're like Governor Felix in Acts 24, who Paul also stood before and witnessed to. The Bible says that Paul reasoned with Felix, of righteousness and temperance and of the judgment to come. It's the same message that Noah was preaching. Remember Felix's response? The Bible says Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Maybe that's you today. You know the righteousness of God which sent Christ to the cross. You know that being born again calls for a life of temperance or self-control where you no longer live after your own lust. And you even know of the judgment to come. And perhaps that knowledge even makes you tremble. But you still refuse because you want things your way. Don't bother me right now. 
I got things that I want to do. I'll call for you when it's convenient. Doesn't work that way. And you're thinking, I'll just go out there and sow my wild oats. And once I get that out of my system, after you live your life of sin, end up in the hog pen, you'll finally say, okay, God, this is a convenient time to call upon you. So now do your thing and save me. God will not always strive with you. You don't get to decide when it's the best time for you to be saved. You got to respond while the Holy Ghost is drawing you. Now, I think God, He's long-suffering. He's compassionate, but there will come a point when God will say, that's it, no more. And your life's going to be over. And if your attitude is, I'll just wait, you're not broken about your sinful condition. You don't understand God's righteousness and who you really are. You say, what are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. I don't have to twist somebody's arm to be saved. Amen. If I'm having to twist your arm and beg and plead, you don't understand the message. Because once you're broken by the message, you'll come sliding in at the altar and saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I remember the day I was saved. June the 26, 1990. I didn't have to be coaxed down the aisle. I didn't have to be convinced I was a sinner any longer. Why? I was convinced of the message. Somebody help me preach. I was convinced I was a sinner. I was convinced I needed a Savior. I was convinced Christ provided what I could never deserve. And that I needed a relationship with God. And so you witness to people and they just kind of chomp their gum. Don't you lead that person in prayer. You wait till they're broken. I stopped leading people in prayer a long time ago, but whatever. That's a whole other thing. You need to be broken. And I've never yet met somebody that I've led to the Lord who wasn't broken that I say, you need to pray and they just start praying. Amen. So let me ask you this morning. Everybody pay attention. Is there anybody missing from verse 1? Look at what it says, Noah and all thy house. Everybody else in the world is missing. Are you missing from verse 1 today? Listen, please don't put God off any longer. Give yourself to God while there's still time. Seek Him while He may be found. You understand you're only one breath away from eternity. All of us. We're all terminal. The day's coming when the door of the ark will be shut and it'll be too late. You'll be cast into a devil's hell for all eternity because you willingly rejected Christ and His free gift of salvation. So while this is a great verse about God's grace to Noah and his family, this is also a sobering verse and that all the rest of humanity is going to die. They're going to die in the flood and they're going to go to hell because they've rejected God's message and His requirements. God has already foretold us that He's going to destroy this world once again. It's on the way. He'll destroy it by fire. Will you escape the wrath of God when that day arrives? Better yet, will you escape the wrath of God when your time comes to die? Because we may not live until the Lord comes again. I think we're close. 
You can have a life through Christ because He took God's wrath in your place. So I would ask you this morning to the lost, would you just let go of your pride? Would you finally just say enough? Just, just let go of your flesh. Give your heart to God. You know the message. You know it to be true. It's time, it's time for you to be saved. Just accept His requirements by faith. You say, what's His requirements? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then finally, to you moms and dads that are in Christ, are you living in such a way that it's affecting your home in the right way? Is your house being blessed because you as parents are walking with God? Don't negate the blessings of God upon your family because you want to do your own thing. But live righteously so your children will learn that God will bless those who bless Him. God saw the righteous living of Noah. What does God see when He looks at you? Let's pray.